welcome back to another episode of Chipping In, a golf podcast that chips into the conversation every week. We are coming off a major tournament from the LPGA. We're three weeks away from the PGA Championship. So much to discuss, but first we really need to get into what went down at the Chevron Championship. We talked about last week how it switched venues, the iconic Papa, the iconic Poppy's Pond was no more, but we are starting new traditions. We're starting new iconic moments. And Lilia Vu is the breakout winner, winning in a playoff after shooting a final round score of 68 to get herself to 10 under matching Angel Yin to play in a playoff. She won on the first hole with a nice birdie putt after Angel Yin found the water with her approach to the green. And Lilia Vu answered most people's questions. Was she going to jump into the kind of lake that's there off the green? And the answer is wholeheartedly yes. That tradition will still continue. It's a little bit different now, but it's the Chevron Championship. It's kind of going to shift a little bit. But the course proved to be um, very interesting in how it played. It pretty much low scoring. There weren't many two low rounds, 10 under being the final mark after 72 holes but a lot of players were up there you talk about Lilia Vu who won um earlier on the season for the first time and now is able to call herself a major champion um Angel Yin is a player who is still looking for her first LPGA victory I remember I met her at last year's Cognizant Founders Cup and she is a player who you'll see if you watch her she struggles with her confidence but when she's playing well and she is able to exude the amount of confidence she possesses in herself, it's very inspiring because she has mentioned how she's been through these dark places, how negative self-talk kind of gets in her way a lot of the times. But when she's on her games, you can really tell how into it she is. That smile is plastered across her face. She's laughing. She's joking. She's truly having fun. Um, And it just wasn't her day. I mean, it pretty much was her day. She was having such a strong round and then she made a few mistakes down the stretch bogeying I think it might have even been back-to-back holes but worked herself back to 10 under with a birdie on 18 to face Lilia Vu who finished a few groups before her in that playoff and I mentioned earlier that approach shot into the green found the water just off line and was unable to catch Vu, who secured that birdie putt to win in one playoff hole. But the first major of the year did not disappoint. Nellie Korda tied for third. Jin Young-Ko tied for ninth. Megan Kang tied for ninth. Carlotta Segonda tied for 12th. Celine Boutier, who won earlier in the season, tied for 14th. It's a stacked leaderboard. Leon McGuire, top 23. Brooke Henderson tied for 23. Ali Ewing tied for 23 at even par um but there's a lot of separation kind of within the last few days as to who the leaders would be but those final holes kind of really determined how close and how competitive the women's game is and when you have all these stars at the top competing for those major titles there's nothing more exciting than to see that and now this is kind of really where the LPGA season just kind of, it took off and now it's a sprint through the rest of the year. You look 
at how next week is the JM Eagle LA Championship. It's an inaugural event. That's not the only inaugural event of the season. I'm just kind of scrolling through. There is another, there's two, three more in addition to um, the one this week. But the fact that they're getting more events, the fact that these different venues are opening their doors up for the LPGA to play at is pretty incredible. I mean, the purse is only $3 million. Not a lot when you see people on the PGA Tour winning $3 million with a winner's paycheck or something close to that standard. But the involvement and the sponsorship growth is rising. I mean, it kind of did make me a little upset to watch the Chevron Championship and not see the galleries of fans that, like, any PGA event would get, let alone a major. I mean, I was not expecting a crowd that the Masters received to show up to um, the Chevron Championship at in Woodlands, Texas, but I did expect more people. It was a major tournament, but still not quite there yet, but I think the LPGA week-to-week pleads its case as to why more people should go, as to why they should get more coverage on TV. This was probably the most airtime they've received in quite some time is it because it was a major tournament yes probably does it mean that they shouldn't get it any other week no it does not the week this it's the tournament the field once again I was just looking through it before I press record here in the Belisario studio in Willard um but it's another stacked field all the stars are playing again the Corda sisters um Megan Kang Grace Kim, who just won, um, Marina Alex, Lilia Vu, your major champion, Brooke Henderson, Daniel Kang, Minji Lee, Lydia Ko, probably too, um, just kind of skimming this list. But all of these players um, are playing in these tournaments. They're in L.A. this week. Then the following week, they are in San Francisco. Then they travel to New Jersey to Upper Montclair Country Club. Uh, Minji Lee was the def- is the defending a champion there. Women's golf is just fully, finally, I think, getting enough speed to get to a point where they are going to earn that attention. And I think that fully started with the Chevron Championship. It was not at Mission Hills where it has been for the past 40 years. It switched venues. But every player was able to embrace that change and welcome in the new tradition. Yeah, you kind of keep something the same but it's same but different that jump into the water same but different it was not a warm jump but Lilia Vu put on that bathrobe after it's just an iconic scene that is designated to this event it's not it's not the green jacket elusiveness yet but it's the Chevron championship bathrobe after you make that leap that is just going to continue being an iconic moment but just in a different way and The LPGA is not at the point where they can be like the PGA Tour and have designated events. But I think it sure says a lot when the best players in the world aren't taking the week after the major off, aren't are going to be in the fields for the weeks to come. Yeah, there might be a few times where they will take the week off for one reason or another. But the next major tournament isn't until the end of June at Baltusrol Golf Club in Springfield, New Jersey for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. So definitely a lot to look forward to and just a lot to pay attention to. They might not be major tournaments quite 
as fast as we're going to see when we talk about the PGA Championship and what we're looking forward to there. But these events are big events, and they have kind of the FedEx Cup equivalent for um, for uh, like the season-long race. So the FedEx Cup, you get points every time you win events, and you're on a list. John Rom leads that. We'll dive into that a little bit more. On the LPGA side of things, you have the race to CME, Glo- CME Globe. And so it's basically the same thing, kind of, of how um, uh, you get points for all your wins and just depends. Right now, because of how Lilia Vu fared, she has already won once on tour so far and just won a major champion uh, championship, just won a major championship, she leads the race to the CME Globe. Behind her is Nelly Corda, who has not yet won, but in six events, she has five top tens and has just always been right there on the leaderboard. Hasn't broken out with a victory quite yet this season, but it's Nelly Corda. It's coming eventually. And just looking at the top five, Lilia Vu, Nelly Corda, Georgia Hall, Celine Boutier, Jin Young Ko, those are your top five. And in the world golf rankings, because of how Nellie Corda finished in third place, she moved back to number one in the world. Nellie Corda is the player who traded off with Jin Young Ko. Lydia Ko was the one who previously held number one in the world, I believe. But now it's back in Nellie's hands. And when Nellie is world number one, that's kind of where you see her really pile on the pain and just really separate herself from the rest of the pack of the LPGA. So I'm excited to see what's in store for Nellie. Last year was a little bit rough for her dealing with injuries and health issues, but she's recovered, played in the first major tournament of the season, and looked like her Nellie self. Hasn't been able to close anything quite out just yet, but I wouldn't be shocked if it happens in the next few events. That's just kind of the level that Nellie is expected to play. That's kind of how she holds herself too all the time, but Now shifting gears to men's golf. I know normally we go men's golf, women's golf, but honestly, women's golf on top. But last week we had the Zurich Classic um, at TPC Louisiana. It was really just a change of pace for the PGA Tour with the only team event of the year being this event. And um, it was a mix of four ball formats and foursome formats, keeping things very interesting all week long, kind of see how these duos fared. A tournament record of 30 under par was set by this year's winners in Nick Hardy and Davis Riley. They both got their first wins on the PGA Tour. It's actually the first time that's ever done that when people have won at the same time. It never happened ever before. Going into the final round, they faced a three-shot deficit, but they rallied to shoot a 65, climb that leaderboard, maybe be a little bit stealthy considering how... Um, not many people probably picked them to win, uh, but they were able to win. They held that trophy together at the tournament's conclusion. But um, with the win, they each earned 400 FedEx Cup points. And I talked about how the CME race is similar to the FedEx Cup race. Um, and it really is. They each get 400 points. They're now both within the top 40 of the standings and received exemptions into the PGA Championship, which is huge. It's a major tournament. It's not often that, especially if you haven't won before, that you get into these events. But the fact that they punched their ticket in there is probably very surreal for them. What was really surprising was how Colin Morikawa and Max Homa missed the cut by two strokes. I mean, we talked about how Max Homa 
was kind of more on his game when the PGA Tour still played their tournaments in California and how during the Florida swing we kind of seen him take a step back. But I kind of expected the Morikawa effect to kick in just because of how consistent he always is. But they were just unable to make that cut. And that was just one of the other highly rated matchups because as a non-elevated event, most of the stars took the week off. Um, the defending champions, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, they tied for fourth. They had back-to-back 66s on um, rounds three and four, but that was just not enough to defend their title. Um, but Hard- Hardy and Riley, they really just fired their best to close out their round. They birdied four of their last final six holes, and they were able to play rounds three and four, bogey three. They really never dropped shots. They only climbed to the top, and that's what got them that title win. It's very interesting just because of how a team format works because it's different than the mindset is different than typical stroke play format. Alternate shot can kind of mess with how players are locked in when you're not hitting every shot from the tee to the time the ball is putted into the hole. And so there might be an added pressure. I think even Hardy and Riley talked about how they weren't even so concerned about messing up for themselves but it was about worrying about messing up for the other person. Nonetheless, it just proves to be a fun event. That kind of breaks things up a bit. But now um, normalcy returns this week with the Mexico Open, the second time the PGA Tour will be in Mexico this year. And it's another non-elevated event. There are hardly any stars in the field, except for basically John Rahm. John Rahm, I saw this graphic posted by Golf Digest. He is over a 26% chance of winning the tournament simply by just him being in the field and that's just all on him John Rahm's on an absolute tear he's world number one a lot of people have been debating whether it should be um Rahm or Scheffler but Rahm has closed out more wins he already has four in the season and with a win this week because of how um favored he is coming in if he wins the Mexico Open he would be the first player since Justin Thomas in 2016 and 2017 to win five events in one season. Really just incredible to see what the Spaniard has done. He finished tied for 15th at Hilton Head um, at the RBC Heritage. He took last week off, but he is entering as a hardcore favorite. Tony Finau is the only other player in the top 20 of the official world golf rankings that is in um, the field. So it's very interesting to see kind of how it's from a number standpoint and from a ranking standpoint, it's a race between Finau and Rom. So if the final pairing isn't Rom and Finau, I'm excited to see who the next person to emerge will be because Rom is really running away with the FedEx Cup. Uh, he leads by nearly 800 points for starters. Nobody's been really able to catch him. And... Because even when he's not winning, he had some issues earlier on, like in some of the Florida events, missing the cut, having to withdraw. But every other time, he's finishing up really high on those leaderboards, which gets him a lot of the points, even when he isn't the one standing with the trophy, as he already has three times, one of them being the Masters, his second major win in his career. But this is an event, like, of course, John Rahm is playing in a non-elevated event, where he's defending a title. This was a tournament where last year it was the only trophy he uh, lifted after nearly an 11th month win drought 
Um, and that kind of kickstart the rest of his run where he was able to win. Um, I think he might have won another time last year. Not entirely sure exactly. Everything's kind of a blur because of how many golf stats I know. But this course is very attackable, especially for the longer hitters. The par fours, some of them aren't quite as long. Um, let's see if I still have the tab open from when I wrote my preview earlier. I do not, but let's find it anyway. Okay, so I'm just going to look at the course stats. And just the yards on the par fours, like 415 yards, 500, 450. This one's a little bit longer at 520. Some par threes are about 200. The par five, 600 yards, very long. But they're par fours that are... This par four, hole number seven, 297 yards. These players can drive that green. It's very attackable for the longer hitters, especially Rom. I believe, averages over 300 yards off the tee. His putting is electric, especially from distance, which is so killer if you're trying to catch Rom and you think, oh, he'll probably hit the two-putt, and then he just proves you wrong by one putting and getting another birdie. Yeah, he's that guy. But this is a course where if you hit the long ball off the tee, you can kind of be rewarded in the sense that you'll have a shorter approach shot in, and hopefully you're able to control um, exactly where you want to place uh, that ball on the green in uh, relation to the pin. And just looking, because they show the green diagrams on PGATour.com, there aren't many bunkers that surround the greens. I've known, I've talked about a couple of other courses where bunkers are fluttered around, but those don't seem to be too big of a hazard. But there are some water hazards that kind of flank some sides of the green, either on the side or behind, that definitely make it interesting. Um, in terms of placement, if you are having shorter approach shots, you have to be a little bit more accurate. You're expected to be a little bit more accurate. But overall, it's honestly not that exciting of a week just because the field is weaker. But that's what you get with the non-elevated events. Next week, we have the Wells Fargo Championship, which is elevated. Then it goes to the AT&T Byron Nelson, which is non-elevated. And the week after, we have the PGA Championship. Already at our second major of the year, pretty much, which is absolutely unreal. I can't believe it. But time is flying by. I leave to go home a week from Friday, which is unreal. I will be going into my second year of college in the fall. I still can't get wrap my head around this. I'm basically almost done. I have a couple finals next week. Playing golf. I'm playing golf next week on Monday. I will probably bring it up in the next week's podcast episode because I really don't know how it's going to go. I haven't touched my clubs in a while, but I am just so excited. A lot of exciting things going on. I'm going to be working back at the golf course I work at again when I'm home. Hopefully we have some really great news about a really cool opportunity for this podcast coming in soon. Still waiting to hear back, but I'm going to get to play a lot more and just going to be really happy because golf just has that effect on me and I hope chipping in has brought that effect to you but that is all we have today for episode nine um excited really to see more of how the LPGA fares this week because John Rom leading or leaderboard is nothing new the LPGA really just has someone new in the mix every week in addition to the stars so we will recap everything next week 
we'll talk about how I played unless it was actually too traumatic and I won't want to talk about it. No, we'll we'll bring everyone in on the mix of my struggles out on a course I've never played before because this will be my first time out on the Penn State courses. So let's go. I am really pumped for this next week of golf as always. Can't wait to bring more content and keep grinding away and chipping into this conversation with this podcast. Until next time.